Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! From the second floor of the AC building, for some time in the future, it's election shock therapy. <laughs> Good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Joining me in my office today. We're back in my office. We keep, we're, we're on the move now. All of our recording equipment is on a nice little, uh, nice little cart. So, um, and we can move anywhere that we're, uh, we're actually like walking right now. We're like wandering the halls, just of that like hallway. the West Wing, just right. just, like just power walking down podcast. the hallway, yep. like having it. a conversation. Yep, we're like yeah. we're like waving as we go by the bookstore. That's right now. why, by the way, that Chris Garrett's is on this podcast. Have you ever <laughs> walked next to that guy? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, he walks fast. Now he is a foot taller than me. I, that's part of the problem. I walk fast, but the problem is Garrett's legs are a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. So for even for me, it's like I have to boogie a little bit to keep up with him. It, and, it, I, and I'll leave people behind too. But. And and, and I've, it took me a while to realize that he's not trying to prove a point. No. Like if this is just, just actually his gait. <laughs> yeah. He has a lot to do. He's anyway, uh, uh, this, you you've joined walking with historians. Um, my name is Chris Moore, and joining me in my office today is Andy Bramson and Mr. Crum. So we got the usual gang here. Sam is off, uh, guys. He's he's in he's, a I'm, he's in a meeting. I'm sure you're surprised. We're in the phase now where election shock therapy is resting up from the midterms. We're um, we're icing down our pitching arms. We're um, yep. we're getting treatment for our, our pulled hammies. That's right. And no Tommy John surgery, thankfully. You having Tommy John no, surgery? No, we're not having Tommy John. Oh, surgery. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, throughout <laughs> your arm pitching in the midterms, so it could be worse. But you're going to come back stronger. Oh yeah. Isn't that what Tommy John surgery does? Like you come back, you come back better usually. Sure. So Throw a little uh, bit faster. Yeah, maybe theoretically. All right, it's a lot of work to do that, but yes. Is 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 political science professor like the lowest incidence of workers' comp claims of any profession anywhere in the universe? I mean, I would assume it's lower than like theater professor. Oh yeah, because yeah. they actually use like swords and yeah. like fireworks and yeah. stuff. It's true. Yeah. What, what what kind of workplace what kind of workplace injury could we actually sustain other than paper cuts? Well, oh, I have done the paper cuts a lot. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess, I, I guess, if you got in the way of of a congressperson body slamming a reporter, you might yeah. get injured. Um, <laughs> or apparently, if you accidentally walked in front of Chris Garrett's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> just, just a hallway collision. <laughs> now I'm picturing him going down the hallway like the like the office linebacker, <laughs> just taking people out. No, I mean like they're just we're. I mean, basically, if unless unless I inhale chalk dust, okay. I'm I'm. <laughs> Basically impervious to workplace injury. At this point, I'm going to knock on wood. <laughs> right. right. Well, you knock on wood, and my more. shelf's going to fall over and crush you with all my books. That is true. You have a lot of books on your shelf. Yep. Which is why I'm happy that so I'm you not. You had your TA organized, so there's a there's a scheme here. Uh huh. Yeah. So. And they're organized by weight, so <laughs> come crashing down on you. The highest ones are the heaviest, right? So. Um, guys, I I have a, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about today. A couple of disparate topics, but. Uh, the last time we convened was a day after the the midterm elections, and there were still some things that were kind of up in the air. And now mm-hmm. a week later, I'm happy to report 
those things are still up in the air. <laughs> but we know a few more things we knew last week, so let's throw it over to Mitch. With uh, Mitch, what do we know now a week later that we didn't know 12 hours later? Uh, well, I mean, we know, and this is sort of the boring part, we know that the Democrats have picked up a few more seats in the House, mm-hmm. um, so their lead is now... Um, actually, I'll just say I didn't look this morning, but I think it's at like 232. Is that right? Yeah. If you count the races mm-hmm. that haven't been called but are right, still being projected, but are basically there, yeah. it's probably at 232 to 200 or 201 or something, yeah, something like, like that. that. So, mm-hmm. um, um, so essentially, um, yeah, so there's been a few more seats. Uh, what that means essentially is that the Democrats solidly have the House. So yeah. um, this, is, this is a solid majority. They'll be able to do, you know, pass whatever they want in terms of legislation there. Now, of course, there's also been a retain legislation. So this means probably mm, the Affordable yeah. Care Act is probably not going right, anywhere. Exactly. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Sure. Um, now, of course, none of that legislation is going to probably go very far because of the at least any substantive le- legislation is going to go very far because of the Senate still being controlled by Republicans. But looking over there, things look a little bit less rosy for the Republicans than they did actually on election yep. night. So on election night, right. This is right. all ex- expectations games. Right. So um, since election night, uh, a couple of close races have actually fallen uh, in line for the Democrats. So the Republicans have actually only gained uh, last I looked at one seat at this point. Yeah. So one seat with the possibility of with two. Possibility right. of two, right. So we'll Assuming see how, Mississippi goes their way, which is right. improbable. Yeah. Right. So uh, you know, but basically the big one is Arizona has gone has gone blue. So, so. Kristen Cinema defeated Martha McSally. Yep. yep. So race, but she won. Yep. Can I pause because this is a reoccurring topic for us? I have to just say that although that was an extremely heated campaign and both sides campaigned fairly negatively mm-hmm. during the mm-hmm. campaign. The post-election process, both candidates have been models of civility and mm-hmm. respect mm-hmm. for the electoral process. It's yep. really commendable, especially if you look to southern states like Florida <laughs> um, or other places. Right. So just yeah, anyway, yeah. Had, to, had to interject that. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it'll be interesting there, too. I mean, McSally lost his close race. Um, and, you know, Arizona's going to have a Senate seat on the ballot again very soon. Um, they, they got one coming up in 2020 right. yeah, for the remainder of McCain's term. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see her throw her hat back in the ring. And, you know, I, yeah. They could well sure. end up being Senate colleagues <laughs> in the near future. Right. Um, but we'll see. Yep. So uh, those are the main things. Uh, you know, other than that, most of the stuff that we knew on election night is stuff that we know now. I mean, the big questions... Um, and I guess the I guess the question I guess I guess from election night the thing that we that that, that is flipped particularly is Florida. Um, mm-hmm. So you know basically there were concessions uh, speeches from um, from from Gillum and um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Did uh, Nelson actually Nelson. ever concede? Yeah, or he, he didn't. Uh, yeah, I can't remember if Nelson actually conceded or yeah, not. Yeah, Gillum did. Gillum did. But essentially the the. Um, I know Gillum res- has rescinded his concession, yeah. uh, and essentially, you know, that race that looked like it was going to be called um, is yeah. no longer called. So that one's that one's right. too close. Although realistically, he's going to lose. I mean, there's there's yeah. no way unless there's some sort of systemic voter vote counting error. There's no way you make up that kind of gap. Like right. right. Gillum's is right. just not that close. Yep. Nelson's is a little more interesting. Nelson's yeah. is interesting, and the Stacey Abrams race is. Yep. Is interesting. Right. The Abrams race is interesting because. Not that she's going to close the gap, but because Kemp has to be over 50. Right. And that's what makes it interesting. Yep. Um, so as it stands, the general trends that we, we saw are holding true. Mm-hmm. Republicans pick up a, a seat or two in the Senate. Yep. Democrats take control of the House mm-hmm. with about a 25 to 30 vote majority there. Mm-hmm. And... What we what we see as political scientists, what we expect would be two years of po- po- policy stagnation. 
uh, in Congress. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, the Democrats will have very little incentive, I think, for Don to, to work with the president yep. mm -hmm. and their Republican colleagues unless Donald Trump makes a decision to triangulate, something that Bill Clinton did mm -hmm. back in 94, and basically moved to the left to make deals with, with, with Democrats. But mm -hmm. that would be truly shocking, even in a way that it wasn't for Clinton, mm -hmm. um, for Donald Trump to eschew his base and, and, and dive towards the, the center. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, with that in mind... One of the things we saw when Bar when Barack Obama lost uh, the House and Senate to Republicans mm -hmm. is the president shifted his uh, policy agenda towards relying more on executive orders. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Uh, do we do you expect that, Mitch, from Donald Trump? And if so, what are some policy areas we could see more executive orders emerging in? Um, well, I mean, part of what's interesting with Trump is he's already made that shift to some degree, right? So Trump came mm -hmm. into office essentially. Um, issuing a, a number of executive orders um, and which is a little bit you know again this is a little bit different than presidents in the past who oftentimes mm -hmm. rely you know at least at first are attempting to pass legislation to get um, you know bigger bigger victories in that way as far as actual laws um, and Trump pretty quickly moved uh, into the realm of just trying to um, you know make make policy through through executive orders um, that will probably continue um, mm -hmm. so in some ways for Trump it's almost it's almost a continuation of what he's been doing anyway. Um, it's it's less of a it's less of a switch probably mm. to see him going over to um, to using executive orders to try to get to try to actually right. move things along. Um, as far as areas where he may take action, um, so he's been you know essentially in some ways in some ways the issues are still the same. Um, immigration looks like it's going to be an ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, topic. So that's one area where, where the president may uh, continue continue to act. Um, and then uh, beyond that, uh, there's been some talk um, about th about issues of infrastructure and things like that. But this is not, you know, it doesn't. There's no concrete plan that I've seen or anything like that. So we'll see if the president actually pulls pulls some of that stuff together. Yeah. I do appreciate the unintended pun of a concrete plan for infrastructure. Exactly. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, is just for our just as a poli sci one hundred and one type of question here. Mm -hmm. So, for those of you who grew up watching Schoolhouse Rock and how a bill becomes right. a law, we you know our general sense of how legislation works in the United States mm -hmm. is that Congress writes bills, passes bills, and the president signs them into law and then executes them as the head of the executive branch. Right. Um, does an ex how does an executive order fit into that picture? So essentially, executive orders. Um, and I was actually just talking about this in Intro to American, um, but basically, um, there's sort of there's sort of there's sort of two sides to executive orders. There's there's the boring side that I, I think is intuitive and is the reason we have them, and then there's the more controversial side. So mm -hmm. so the boring side is that essentially, you know, as 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 you just said, Chris, you know, the president is supposed to execute the laws, and so and or you know, basically implement policy. And the way that's done is the president. Is essentially sits atop uh, a massive bureaucracy, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, mm -hmm. there's an enormous number of agencies and departments and all kinds of stuff. Um, everything from like the IRS that collects your taxes to mm -hmm. the EPA that mm -hmm. regulates the environment, and uh, you know the post post uh, uh, postal workers that deliver your mail. You know all this stuff, right? That the right. government does. 
Um, and the president is, at least at some level, at the top of all that. They're in mm -hmm. charge. And so if we say they're in charge and they're supposed to be running this bureaucracy, then it stands to reason that they would be able to actually order these people to do things. Sure. Um, and so it mm -hmm. seems like, you know, if, in the, if part of the example I use is, you know, just kind of a silly example in class. But, you know, if, if you are an older sibling, which I was, right, and you were ever put in charge of your younger siblings, you know, but your parents then said, well, but you can't do anything. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't tell them to do anything. Right. Well, then right. you're not really in charge, right? I mean, right. all you're doing is right. you're just an observer of all the chaos that's about to ensue, right? Right. And so it seems obvious, right, that if the president is in charge of this bureaucracy, he can tell it what to do. He can right. give it orders. Sure. Um, and so where this becomes, so that's the boring side, right? That's the side where we say, well, of course, you know, the president is supposed to implement and ex execute the laws. Therefore, he's in charge right. of these agencies so right. he can order them around. But where this gets complicated then is presidents have increasingly over the last few decades, used that power of ordering the bureaucracy to actually implement independent policies that have not been authorized by Congress or the courts right. or, or, or anyone right. else. And so essentially the president will order the bureaucracy to carry out a policy that it will essentially function like similarly to a law, mm -hmm. um, just as if Congress had passed a law on something, and yet this is just on the president's say-so. This is just on the president's order saying, I want you as you know the, mm -hmm. the, the IRS or the... Um, in this case, <clears throat> excuse me, man, got a little. Um, anyway, I'm just giving you orders to to basically carry out right. this policy. So, um, so for example, President Obama, one of President Obama's major executive orders had to do um, with immigration, and essentially ordered immigration services to uh, to to essentially register and allow um, those born um, in the United States. Or, or sorry, those those brought to the United States as children, mm -hmm. not right. not born in the United States. Critical distinction. Right, right. <laughs> um, those brought to the United States and children uh, as children to essentially have uh, some level of safety and be able mm -hmm. to. These are the dreamers. These are the dreamers, right? right to function in in the United States, and so right. because that's simply executive order, what that means and what's become so fraught now that uh, he's gone is that you know once again because this is only on the president's say so right. um, that means that any incoming president can then alter it also on exactly. their say so yeah. and yeah. so this is this is an example of sort of the, the weakness of an executive yeah. order it, it only is there at the right. at the you know will or pleasure of the president yeah. of the and current president yeah and that's the quick takeaway and they they both function as law when they're there right and so in that sense there's no distinction but the moment you know president obama leaves office the moment president trump leaves office yeah. someday all their executive orders remain as law only if the next president affirms them, right? right. Uh, if the next president says that's done, it's done. So you, you know, you can get rid of those. You can get rid of his immigration reform, quote unquote, right, in a second. But you can't get rid of Obamacare, right? Because while that right. was also an, an initiative that President Obama was very enthused about, that's yeah. a law. That's passed by Congress. You have to repeal that, and the Republicans have been unable to do that. Right? Guys, so that's do we, really different. Do we have any sense, any data on the temporality of executive orders? Do they really just wash out with every president as we went from Bush to Obama? Did Obama get rid of all of Bush's executive orders as we went from Obama to, to, to Trump? Did he just wash them all away? No, a lot of executive no. orders do persist. Um, okay. And oftentimes... Um, you know, and part of this has to do, and, and, and this is where the sort of the numbers game is a little bit deceptive, because oftentimes m many executive orders actually are somewhat benign. Right. Mm. Um, they actually like, how are. How do you the, do this? How do you? Right. Exactly. Right. So, so, so the vast majority of executive orders really are just the president saying, "Carry out this law," or "This way," just this this way, or what? And it actually yeah. is just you know the president carrying out their 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 right. constitutional role of implementing laws. So. Right. Um, 
So in that way, you know, but if you're looking at sort of the, the major controversial ones, right, the ones where the president really is trying to reshape policy without Congress, those oftentimes are reversed right. um, when you see someone else. So for another famous example of this um, is as soon as Pre uh, George W. Bush came to office, he immediately implemented executive orders um, that essentially banned th uh, like partial birth abortion mm -hmm. and other controversial practices um, right. regarding, regarding right. um, um, you know, re um, yeah, regarding reproductive abortion thing and reproductive yeah. issues. So, yep. Um, yep. so this is another example of a president rolling back things that President Clinton had put in place um, that that essentially, um, you know, didn't didn't survive mm -hmm. past past Clinton's presidency. Right. Okay. Um, Andy, uh, we've got some changes in Congress now too mm -hmm. with the midterms. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Ryan, had we'd long known, is yep. departing as Speaker of the House. Even if the Republicans had held on to the House, he right. wasn't going to be Speaker He's of the House anymore. From Congress. Yep. He's retiring to um, spend time with his family. Yep. Is he really? <laughs> I actually think he might be. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sure his family is lovely. I'm not, and yeah. I'm not imputing Paul no, Ryan's family. He's at that but stage, though. His kids are at that stage where they're, they're finishing up. I mean, he'll, he'll do something. He's not going to just right. sit on his hands and, you know, I don't know, play, play um, Barcheesy with his kids, right? But Is um, <laughs> probably not playing Barcheesy Bar at all. Because they're, they're, let's be honest, there are cooler games, and Paul Ryan seems. Cool enough he does to seem cool. Uh, here, but, but here's the thing: he doesn't also <laughs> seem like the kind of guy who would just quietly become a university president or quietly become uh, a, um, a powerful lobbyist for a K Street lobby firm. Like mm -hmm. he's gonna probably his his era in public life probably isn't over. Yeah. Well, and and the, yeah. you know, Wisconsin just elected a Democratic That's governor, true. so yep. you know, governor's a possibility. I think um, you could imagine him trying for Senate. I think it's. He's in a state that is, you know, swing state but slightly left-leaning, I would say. Mm -hmm. So I think Wisconsin's a statewide is going to be a challenge, but I could see him trying. Yeah. And, I mean, okay. I, I don't know how ambitious he is, honestly, to be president. I mean, I'm a lot of politicians I'm skeptical about their lack of ambition, but with Ryan I'm genuinely somewhat convinced that he's more of a policy wonk and less of a um, I really want to be president. I could imagine him, though, being willing to be, like, in a, a treasury secretary or something like that sure. you know, under a, a uh, some president, Republican president, uh, not this Republican president. Right. Um, I think he has a little more self. I can't just. I just can't picture him going and hiding at the Hoover Institute for the next ten years. Right. It, well, what's interesting though is he he really hasn't announced anything. Like no. there's nothing that we know yeah. about his future plans. Um. And I mean to Andy's point, you know, one of the things, and I do think this lends some credibility to the I want to spend time with my family is Paul Ryan actually did spend about the first month of his speakerhood um, trying to not do fundraising, mm -hmm. specifically because he said he felt like it was going to take too much time from his family. And then, of course, once, you know, you get into that job, you have to do fundraising. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, once that sort of sucked him in, uh, it, it was it was, you know, it was pretty well known that yeah. this was something he did not like. Yeah. Um, and he really yeah. did feel like this was something that was requiring too much time away from his kids. Um, yep. So he may genuinely feel that he owes them a year or two mm -hmm. um, before he dives back into mm -hmm. to something else. So. Yeah. I, I doubt we've seen the last of him. Right. I think, I think right. that's certainly yeah. true. But, but um, yeah. So who's going to be Speaker of the House? Ooh, good question. That's a good question. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you had to put money right now, I'd still go with Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. But, yeah. but right. there's certainly Democrats who are saying they have the votes to oppose her. And the question, I think, is whether they can they can push the caucus. I mean, like, if they can persuade the mm -hmm. caucus, they can cause a lot of trouble. Can you explain what you mean by that? Um, in other words, the, the, the members of, of um, Congress who are in the Democratic Party are the, okay. make up the Democratic caucus in the House. Yep. And they, together, will choose their leader. And then they will choose their speaker, and so the, these are two processes, and they are they are distinct, and mm -hmm. that distinction is important. So, 
to become the leader of the party, you only have to win the majority of that caucus, which in the yeah. Democratic case is going to be around 116, 117 people. Um, so Kevin McCarthy, for example, just easily won election as the Republican leader in the Republican caucus. I think McCarthy would have had a much Kevin McCarthy more... McCarthy was uh, Paul Ryan's number two. Right, he was Paul Ryan's yeah. number two. But I think McCarthy would have had a much more challenging time winning the speakership if, say, the Republicans had held the majority with 220 seats, right? Because mm -hmm. those 43 people who opposed him, not all of them would have been open to voting for him on the floor. And, in fact, last time McCarthy tried, that was a problem for him to become party yeah. leader because it was there was concern he couldn't actually win the speakership, right? And so Pelosi faces that now, right, where she clearly has enough votes right now to be you know, retained as Democratic Party leader. Right. Um, what is less clear is whether she can get to 218, because no Republicans are going to vote for her for speaker. And if, if the Democrats who all are saying right now they'd oppose her are actually willing to oppose her on the floor, mm -hmm. they could block her from becoming speaker. Mm -hmm. If they block her from becoming speaker, then you kind of have to find a different candidate. Um, it is not in Pelosi's interest, I think, to go to a floor vote and lose. That would be embarrassing. So it might be better if, if she's, you know, if she is going to be in that position to then kind of have a role in choosing who would actually take over the House. Um, and it is an issue. I mean, like, it, you know, we talked about this before on this podcast, but Pelosi's, I mean, she's been around forever. She's really old, right? She's, I mean, she's been the leader of the Democrats in the House for 16 years. Yep. That yeah. is a really long run. I mean, in mm -hmm. that time, the yeah. Republicans have had, what, um, three or four different, three different leaders, I think. Hastert, yeah. Boehner, and Ryan now. And so wow. now, now yeah. McCarthy. Yeah. Right. But um, so it's, you know, it, it's a long run. She's old. She's some, somebody who's from a very liberal part of the country. It's not right. seen as representative. I mean, she represents, you know, San Francisco, which is pretty much one of the poster boys for sort of liberalism in the minds of kind of middle America. And a lot of Democrats are arguing, look, if we're going to expand this party base and have, you know, a, a broader appeal, we need to mm -hmm. have somebody who is a little bit more um, able to connect with kind of middle America. Having said that, Pelosi is a very effective party leader. She fundraises extremely well to the pr previous point about Paul She's Ryan. very well connected. Um, she has a lot of loyalty in the party because she has done a lot for people in the party. Yep. Um, so I still wouldn't bet against her. I think she's pretty, I think she'll find, yeah. she might find a way to kind of, um, you know, sort of come up with a compromise. And it might be is something there anybody like, I'll who retire in two years, but we need me right now, and let's come up with a transition. Is there anybody who would use the speakership as a springboard to presidential aspirations? Um, Delaney? <laughs> I mean, he's already so running, no, but so I'm, no, there's not. <laughs> so, I, I don't think so. I mean, like it's weird right now. Their top leaders are all super old, right? So it's um, yeah. her, Hoyer, Steady and Hoyer. Clyburn, yeah, and I mean they're all upper seventies, right? So um, yeah. then you got people like Ryan, and I guess maybe, but honestly, it is so hard to run for president right. from the House. Um, yep. I'm trying to think the last time somebody who ran from the House and it was Gingrich. Well, and, but actually won. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, like even right. won a nomination right. with where their main platform was, I served in the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thinking James Garfield, I'm, and and that's been a while. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> but And part of the reason for that is, I mean, it's just really difficult to actually get any kind of, you know, that because the House is, is much more regimented, it's much yep. harder to differentiate yep. yourself and right. make a real name for yourself, even as Speaker. Right. I mean, and Speakers, unfortunately, Speakers oftentimes, even though they wield an enormous amount of power, oftentimes right. come out of that role pretty damaged yep. um, as far as their national image. Um, mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. it yeah, it's pretty difficult to leap, fr leap from the House. Well, and in, sure. in, our, in our system, too, I think the, the <coughs> role of leading 
a caucus in the House or even in the Senate, right, is really um, it, it requires a different skill set than running mm -hmm. for president. And so even yeah. like people who have we've had some people who are in, in Senate leadership who've run for president, yeah. but it's it hasn't been an easy transition most of the time. I mean, they what, what makes you good behind closed doors and getting deals done mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily make you good in front of cameras. I mean, yeah. Bob Dole was a very good Senate leader. He was mm -hmm. very effective and he did get the Republican nomination. Um, but he wasn't a yep. particularly compelling presidential candidate, and I just don't think those those skills didn't transfer over well. Whereas Barack Obama was not at all a Senate leader; um, he was not, you know, mm -hmm. he, he wasn't somebody who did did much in the Senate. Quite frankly, I mean, he, he had a very low level of accomplishment, but he he had a skill set that did parlay well into a good presidential run. Mm. Um, same thing with, I mean, you can think of John F. Kennedy, same kind of category, right? Right. Um, yep. It's so it's you know th those aren't necessarily the same, um, yeah, the same skill sets. Does that bode? Po I'll just, I'm jumping ahead here, but thinking about <laughs> 2020, does that bode poorly for someone like Amy Klobuchar, who is mm -hmm. on short lists for presidential for Democratic mm -hmm. presidential candidates mm -hmm. in 2020, yeah. but who is one of the most productive senators in yep. the entire U.S. Senate, who yep. who's, who is who really seems to have a huge track record of legislative accomplishment? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the sort of shorthands that people sometimes use is they think about, you know, in the Senate there are workhorses and show horses. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, Klobuchar is a workhorse. I mean, mm -hmm. she's somebody who really tries to get a lot done. She does her homework. She writes bills. She yep. serves faithfully on our committees. She serves in Democratic leadership. I mean, there's all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff that she's constantly doing. I mean, she's trying to accomplish, a le you know, a legislative agenda. Um Whereas you have other folks, and I mean, you know, Andy's already brought up a couple examples of yeah. the show horses, you know, um, people who basically like to go out and give speeches and they like to make a lot of noise, but they don't yeah. necessarily do the hard labor of writing bills mm -hmm. and editing bills and showing up their committees and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it uh, just strikes yeah. me this is also true in academia, and I don't want to go too far down <laughs> that conversation. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> I think it's true in just about everything. Yeah. I mean, I think I think whatever job you hold, like there's always that one person like who's like y you never do anything, but you're always like the first in line at the, you know, at the, at the boss's party or whatever. There you, you know, go. You know, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think there's always show ponies. And, and, and this is hitting horses. a little close to home, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> um, We're not you. talking about you, Chris. Thank you, friends. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing uh, one thing we've. Uh, we, we say mo almost I, I say almost every podcast is that we're not pundits and our we're we try not to react to the most spicy stories of the day. So I'm not going to make you guys comment on uh, whether or not the president is susceptible to rainstorms um, and whether <laughs> uh, how much he can afford to get wet and whether this has anything to do with the product he puts in his hair or anything like that. Um, He's just too sweet, Chris. I, I was thinking more Wizard of Oz. But. Well, you know, <laughs> however you want to look at it. I was thinking that whatever product he, he, he uses in his um, in his dew is water-soluble in some way. <laughs> and so, anyway, all that to say, we want to think about what uh, we as political scientists can contribute to the discourse. And one of the big stories that has emerged in the last week since the midterm elections is the issue of, or the, the alleged issue in the United States of voter fraud. Mm -hmm. And this can take several different kinds of forms. And I know that the two of you have talked a little bit about this, but mm -hmm. let's let's walk through both what uh, the Republicans and the Democrats are accusing each other of perpetrating in the elections that pur that purports to be voter fraud. And then where you are actually concerned mm -hmm. about the American electoral system. 
So Andy, do you want to kick this off? Sure. I mean, I think there's a couple um, things that are going on right now. Um, one on both sides. I mean, one uh, on the Republican side, there's a, a real concern that perhaps the vote counting is being manipulated in some way. Um, that this is, you know, to to their the Democratic Party's advantage. So in particular in Florida, this is coming up as an issue. Um, and I think that. Um, so this would be Democrats in charge of the vote count are counting more Democratic votes right, than there should right. be. In particular counties, right? They're more Democratic. Broward counties, County. Uh, Broward County, for example. Um, and that there's there's possibly some kind of manipulation going on there, right? And, I mean, the, the bottom line with that is that it just doesn't seem to be any evidence of this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk about it, and certainly a number of politicians have jumped on and said this, right? But but when you look at evidence, I mean, there just doesn't seem to be any evidence of voter fraud. Um, people who are trying to look at this more objectively are saying we just don't see any real issues here, right? I mean, I think there is an issue of Broward County the way they did their, their ballot. And, I mean, like, people in Florida. What do you mean by that? Um, well, their ballot basically was, once again, confusing, which is a recurring issue with Florida. And mm -hmm. I just do not understand how they cannot um, vet their ballots a little bit better. But basically, they put this long sort of instruction thing in the first column. And then at the very bottom of the instruction column, they stuck the Senate race. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then the next page, you start with the governor race, right? And so the concern is that some people might have missed the Senate race because they didn't see it at the bottom of the, um, it's like the, the Apple user yeah. license agreement. Sure, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> just move right. I mean, it's just sort of it's weird, right? Because it's like the, it, it was. I mean, I looked at it and it's like, yeah, that actually is not mm -hmm. a good design. Um, it's it's problematic, right? And so the concern is like they basically have it undervoting for Senate in that in a very Democratic district. And so the mm -hmm. concern is that Rick Scott may have lost a lot of votes. I mean, frankly, if they did that and they did oh, ballot, so this wasn't a statewide ballot. This was no. I think it was Broward County. A Broward was, County ballot. I think it was Broward County vote. Wow. Because every okay. ballot's a little bit different, right? right. Because you have different races. I mean, like when you go on, you know, for my ballot in Minnesota, I had to go look and say, like, where's my county? And they give you your ballot. And it does look a little different. Ours was nice and intuitive and very straightforward. I don't understand why Florida needs such a long list of instructions, quite frankly. But on top of that, if you're going to do that, then make it either all at the top or put all the instructions right. on one side and then start the races on the next side. I mean, this is not hard, right? Uh, and they and they have been a national embarrassment before on ballot issues. I mean, 2000 was, you know, they were all over the news, just like how how badly they did their ballots. I think they so eighteen years later, you think they would have a little <laughs> bit of awareness of this. So, um, but anyway, that's not a voter fraud issue. That's just a you need better election. This is our democracy like, rests on graphic designers. Yeah, right, well, yeah. and apparently the other forty nine states can do this because it's always Florida. <laughs> so, like, I mean, like, I just like I don't know what's going on with Florida, and they need to get their act together. But that's that's not a voter fraud issue. Okay. Um, I think so. The Republicans claim that you know the actually manipulation of counting seems wrong. Um, there doesn't seem to be any actual There's an allegation evidence. by the president back in 2016 yeah. that 2 million people right. illegally voted in California. And there was just no evidence. And he he sent people out like Chris Kobach, who did, was Secretary of State in Kansas, who just lost a, a governor race, to try to investigate this. I mean, and Kobach found like nine votes. We're talking about nine votes. And they were mostly like old people who accidentally voted at the wrong precinct, right? I mean, things like right. that. I mean, which which does happen, right? You move the precinct and somebody's 90 and they're used to voting there and yep. like they, then they vote there and it's like, oh, no, their vote shouldn't have been there. Well, okay, yeah, that's true. But again, it's not voter fraud exactly. It's just, you know, it's an irregularity and it made no difference in any election, right? I mean, so there was yeah. just, there was zero evidence for the president's claims in, in 2016 and there's zero evidence this year. I think the bigger concern is the one that some Democrats have raised, which is, is a concern actually, which is that we have politically run elections, right? So secretaries mm -hmm. of state run them. I mean, we just elected our, re-elected our Secretary of State here in Minnesota, Steve Simon. He's from the Democratic Party. Um, so he's a partisan official who runs our elections, right? And that is that is kind of a concern at the margins, especially when those people choose to run for higher office, right? So Steve Simon is not currently doing that. But 
in both um, Kansas and Georgia, you had this case where the Secretary of State ran for governor. So they're overseeing their own race. So this is Chris Kobach really and Brian Kemp. Yeah, Chris Kobach and Brian yeah. Kemp. They're overseeing their race for a very important office, right? And um, and there were concerns, not so much that they're manipulating the votes. Again, I don't think that's happening. But you know, it's things like, do you hold up voter registration for people who, based on their um, demographic profile, are less likely to vote for you? Do you under undersupply um, precincts that are less likely to favor you with resources, right? Whether it's you give them crappy voting machines that make it take longer. Or you, you close polling places. You close polling places. Mm. You, you know, you just make it harder to basically for some people to vote yeah. than others. Um, and those, I think, are concerns. I mean, I think that there's some, there's some evidence to suggest that. I don't know that there's evidence to suggest this is, you know, actually affecting election results. But there's at least some evidence to suggest this is at least a, a legitimate concern. Mm -hmm. But in extremely close elections, as we have in it the could, Camp Abrams yeah. election. Yeah, and I mean, and just to give a comparative angle on this, right? I mean, um, I mean, I study African politics, and in Africa, we've we've had this issue a lot, right? We've had a lot of actual real, real voter mm -hmm. fraud because governments run elections, and so as countries have tried to democratize, one of the things they've done is they've had to start saying, look, we need to establish independent election commissions that are outside the political realm. They're not run by elected politicians. And that has improved. I mean, like we still have a ways to go on, on the continent of my youth, right? But, um, but we've, you know, this has helped, right? It has helped in places like Nigeria, where you know corruption was just rampant in elections. Mm -hmm. And now it is, you know, I'm not saying it's non-existent, but it is significantly better because you have independent mm -hmm. election commissions. So it's something we might think about in this country too. How would you go about creating an independent election commission? Um, it's kind of like civil service. I mean, it's you know, you you're you're hiring people based on competence. Um, and the idea is that you know you have a job to do. You just do this job, and you're not impl influenced by political considerations, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't, you know, for example, I mean, we were just meeting with an alum on Monday, right, um, who is you know handling social security disability claims, right? And um, you know you don't make those politics doesn't come into those claims, right? You just you apply, and it's based on these objective criteria, right? right. Like what what is your health? Yeah. What is you know. And, he, and you kind of go down all that, but it's not like, oh, are you in are you in the DFL, which is now in power in Minnesota? If you are, we're going to help you. If you're a Republican, you know, not so much, right? right? I mean, that just doesn't come in. Um, he's a civil servant, right? And and that's basically how you run the elections. Um, obviously, it is a political process, right? But you get people who say, like, this, my job is to do this in right. an even-handed way, and I'm going to do it in an even-handed way when the Democrats win. I'm going to do it in an even-handed way when the Republicans win. Um, and so you can at least, I mean, obviously people are still political in some, mm -hmm. at some level, but you can at least mostly remove the politics from it. Um, and it certainly creates a clearer perception, right? I mean, even if Brian Kemp is being completely fair in his handling things in Georgia, and maybe he is, um, it's, it's a bad perception, right? When he's running the election and there are concerns that are raised. I mean, it's just like, is he really making these decisions for the good of Georgia or for mm -hmm. the good of Brian Kemp? Hmm. Yep. So to recap, what you're saying is, not a lot of evidence of people voting when they shouldn't be. Right. Perhaps evidence that the system sets up poorly to allow people to vote most mm -hmm. expressively. Right. Are there other issues of voter fraud that we should take seriously in the United States or other issues that we should be watching out for? Uh, do we have, uh, for example, do we have any incidents of uh, social media malingering um, the, uh, in 2018? Uh, no, Russia's completely denied this. Um, right. And we, we trust Putin. So. Yeah, well, we, there you go. Mitchell and I are very yeah. big Putin <laughs> Yeah, I'll right. let Mitchell respond to that one. Go ahead, I'm Mitchell. being a little sarcastic. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, there's certainly, so it hasn't been nearly at the level that, that 
that we saw in 2016. Okay. Um, however, there is ongoing evidence that, that that Russia continues to try to infiltrate and influence folks. Now, yeah. what's a part of what's changed as well is social media companies have been more proactive in trying yeah. to prevent this, and so right. they've shut down a right. number of accounts that turn out to be fake accounts or that turn out to be, um, you know, accounts that are run uh, specifically out of uh, you know Russia and things like that. Um, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so, in that way. It's been reduced for those two reasons. First of all, by yeah. mm-hmm. Russia slightly less active, and also um, with the pro between that between those two things, it's 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 much it's much less. But mm-hmm. uh, it's still there, and it's something that is is ongoing, um, and it's mm-hmm. something that certainly isn't going away. Um, you yeah. know, essentially, one of the I think, um, if anything, uh, it, it seems that probably Russia has learned that they. Um, can influence things, um, mm-hmm. and that this is this is a sort of a winning strategy, um, potentially. So yeah, um, but I mm-hmm. don't think there's any reason to think that our outcomes this election were overly influenced. Okay, in and, and frankly, there's a lot less motivation to mess with this election, right? Because right. if you think about, I mean, how does this impact Russia, right? I mean, Russia is more impacted by elections that change mm-hmm. our national leadership. Yeah, and so I think you know if if you are like you know a corrupt Russian. Um, who's trying to, Im, you know, influence U.S. elections? I mean, you probably keep your powder dry for the midterms, right? Right. And, and you know, if you have any new tricks, you don't bring them out now. Right. Mm. So, 2020, we should certainly keep an eye on this. It's, it's I think yep. it was a concern in 2016. I think it's likely to be a concern in 2020, and yep. we shouldn't let our guard down. Okay. Yep. Well, probably now is a good time to hear from our sponsor. Uh, Electroshock <laughs> therapy is brought to you by Gazprom. <laughs> Gazprom for all your petroleum needs. <laughs> Gazprom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I predicted in our last podcast just a week ago that we would oh, see a departure from the Trump administration, and yeah. I boldly predicted it would be Jim Mattis, and I was boldly wrong. <laughs> um, you got the first with, letter of the name right. And I, that's true. And, and there's still there's still rumblings that he may be gone. Oh, he, he may might be. You only, I, I stand by the predi- I stand by the prediction, so. but somebody else beat me out the door, and that was <laughs> um, Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions. Beauregard. Who, uh, within a, within yep. less than twenty four hours of of the midterms being over and our podcast, um, uh, he announced he was leaving leaving uh, yep. the Justice Department. Yep. So at the president's request, we, at the president's request, he is being he was he was resigned. <laughs> yes, he was resigned. <laughs> um, yes, he, he was resigned out of office. So Je- so Jeff Sessions is is uh, is no longer the Attorney General, and he's been replaced. Oddly, mm-hmm. by whom? Matthew Whitaker. Matthew Whitaker. Yep. Who was the ch- who was Jeffrey's Jeff Jeffrey Jeffrey Jeffrey's Jeffrey? Yes, King Joffrey. Uh, it was replaced by Jeff Sessions. <laughs> He's Jeff Sessions' chief of staff. Yes, right. Yep. So the important point to note here is that the deputy attorney general is Rod Rosenstein. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, typically, you would think, well, if the attorney general steps down, the deputy attorney general will probably be the one who steps in as acting, right? As yeah. acting. Yeah. But instead, what who Donald Trump has appointed the chief of staff. Of the attorney general, right. so basically, this is somebody who, because right. he doesn't want Rosenstein in charge. Why right. not? Uh, Rosenstein has been well. There are several reasons. Um, one of them being that uh, uh, Rosenstein has, uh, at least according to uh, journalistic reports, has been highly critical of the president um, behind closed doors. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's somebody who essentially, and again, it's hard to tease out. Uh, 
totally what how much of this is to give credence to but you know yep. it's, it's one of these incidents where there's a lot of smoke so there's probably at least some fire mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. where basically he had suggested that perhaps trump was incompetent and the cabinet might even consider um uh, a, a 25th amendment uh solution of uh basically declaring the president incompetent and removing him from power um mm-hmm. so whether all of that is true how much of this Rosenstein is there. What has been very clear is that Rosenstein is not fully on board with cooperating with everything the president wants. And particularly publicly, Rosenstein has specifically said that he has no reason and and would not obey an order from the president to fire the special counsel, Robert Mueller. And so that in particular uh, has essentially set set the set Rosenstein and and the president at odds. Um, Okay. so um Whitaker, on the other hand, has been very critical of the special counsel uh, and has been somebody who has been very quick to essentially affirm the president um, in pretty much mm-hmm. every everything that, that, that the president wants to do. So yep. uh, essentially, you know, this is, a, as it so often is with the Trump White House, I mean, this is essentially a, a question of loyalty. And yep. Whitaker has been very quick to show to show that he, he has it. And Rosenstein has been very clear that, um, you know, he's he wants he's he's more independent. He's somebody who. Um, wants to follow, I don't know, uh, principles and things like that. So, I know we're, we're not pundits; we're, we're political scientists. But is this? Is there anything we can infer from this? Um, I, well, I mean, I think in terms of political science, I mean, one of the big things to watch, and this is something that will almost certainly come forward here, is um, there's a big question as to whether what the president did is is, is in fact constitutional. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. so the big, so the Constitution specifically says that the president can only appoint principal officers, and that's an important term there, principal officers, um, with the advice and consent of the Senate. And so mm-hmm. essentially what that means is anyone who reports directly to the president, and so the way that the courts have interpreted this idea of the principal officers is these are the people who are specifically in charge of the bureaucratic organizations. Right. Cabinet, cabinet level. Cabinet officials. level positions. Mm-hmm. So if you're in charge of you know, the, you know, the Department of State, the Department of Education, et cetera, you, you report directly to the president. And so there's right. no in-betweens. And so that's the definition of a principal officer. The attorney general who is in charge of the Department of Justice is, is of course, a principal officer. There's somebody mm-hmm. who... Um, reports directly to the president and so constitutionally um, you know you need you know the way the court has interpreted this in the past is you need senate approval and so the way that presidents formally have handled a situation like this is there are other officers of course who are who have been senate approved because it's not just the cabinet heads that are senate approved it's also the deputy director so in this case of course once again rod rosenstein who has been senate approved um, as deputy mm-hmm. attorney general, mm-hmm. um, they are constitutionally um, allowed because they have already received Senate approval. They are allowed to take up these positions as principal officers until the president decides to appoint a more permanent solution. So um, right now, there's it's 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 an open question as to whether any actions that Whitaker actually takes will actually uh, hold up in court, um, or mm. whether anyone who challenges Whitaker's actions will immediately have standing um, and will essentially be able to overturn any of his actions because he doesn't constitutionally have the authority to hold the role that he does. Mm. Um, so this is an open question, and in fact, Justice Thomas himself. Um, so this is the 
arguably the most conservative justice on the court, right. has in fact specifically affirmed that in a recent decision where he specifically said anyone holding these roles, even in a temporary capacity, has to have received Senate approval. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, so yeah. essentially, especially if you're looking at a strict constructionist, you know, or, or original intent mm-hmm. type view of these, which, of course, the president has now tipped the majority of the court to specifically be right. constructionist and original intent. Right. Um, it does seem that the Constitution is actually against the president um, mm-hmm. in this case. So does that mean, Mitch, hypothetically speaking, just is hypothetically, uh, Whitaker decides at the order of the president to fire Bob Mueller uh-huh. and mm-hmm. to disband the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 right. election, mm-hmm. that a, if a suit was brought by Democratic members of Congress defending, uh-huh. arguing that Whitaker's action to dismiss Mueller was illegal, uh-huh. the court might uphold that and might reinstate Mueller's investigation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it seems, and, and of course, you know, we can't know until the court rules and all of these things, but given past president pressed precedents <laughs> and statements, uh, mm-hmm. that does seem to be the consistent outcome that you would expect yeah. um, from the <clears throat> from the current justices. Can he make a recess appointment with Whitaker? I mean, that's not so for recess appointments, once again, for principal officers, the, yeah. the rule is those are supposed to have already been Senate approved. Uh, and yeah. so and so the question is... So he could do a recess appointment with Rosenstein, but he can't right. do a recess appointment with Whitaker. Right, exactly. Okay. So when John Bolton was appointed to to the UN had he he'd been Senate approved because he was undersecretary or something yes okay yeah so Got this and, and this okay. and this is the key like the recess appointments yeah. happen all the time but they right. usually happen using people who are lower down in the hierarchy who have already yeah. been approved right Which Whitaker um, is chief of staff Whitaker is chief of staff is not and so yeah. I mean so, sort of the fig leaf that the White House has brought forward is that Whitaker was Senate approved in like 1994 or something like that um, as, uh, as, as basically as Bat a federal boy. attorney, right? Oh, as, okay. as an attorney. Oh, okay. um, but of course that's expired and yeah. that's, you know, was a, for, for a completely different office. Yeah. And so that doesn't seem like that would pass muster in yeah. any way, shape okay. or form. So, no. yeah. Because I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not like he's was currently in a. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. Okay. All right. It's not like a one time. So, yeah. yeah. So this is the thing to watch. I mean, and of yeah. course it seems Unless the president appoints someone incredibly quickly here and, you know, Whitaker doesn't have time to actually do anything of substance, um, it seems fairly likely that this will come before the courts um, and how they rule will will actually be pretty substantial, I think, for thinking about the president's Mm -hmm. power in terms of recess appointments and how far the court is willing to let the president go um, and shift the doctrines in in terms of what counts as a principal officer, what the Mm -hmm. Senate's role is in terms of advice and consent. It really is, in some ways, a core constitutional question um, because one of the core checks that the Senate has over the president is this ability to rein in the president's appointments of these Mm -hmm. major Mm -hmm. federal Mm -hmm. officials. And so if that in some ways is weakened, um, that really would be a mark of an incredible advance of the power of the presidency Mm. um, and a real cost of the president of the power of the of the legislature and and Congress um, and their ability to actually engage in checks and balances over the president. The flip side of all this, of course, is that the president has a majority in the Senate. It shouldn't be that hard to actually get an attorney right. general approved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he can. I mean, he can get out of this situation quite Just easily by, waiting. by yeah. right. exactly. actually appointing a real attorney general. Right. Whether he can get Whitaker approved, I think maybe is a slightly different question. Right. But yeah. I think there are certainly people he can get to take the job who would get approved pretty easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. If if Whitaker is the one he nominates for Senate approval, the big question will be. Uh, Whitaker's position on the on the Mueller investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw just yeah. La- yeah. yesterday, Jeff Flake came out and said that Jeff Flake is a retiring uh, yeah. Republican senator, but said that he wouldn't uh, 
he wouldn't vote for any um, justice appointments until a bill was passed in the Senate um, guaranteeing the safety of the Mueller investigation, something right. this Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has previously squashed. Right. So. Yeah. And Flake has no power at this point. No, he's he's he is the lamest yeah. of ducks. All he has is his all he has is his power of his one Senate vote, which in, right. yeah. in the current Senate is not insubstantial. Yeah. Right. Um, we have one more topic. Well, I have a couple more topics, but really quickly, I want to ask you to both. Unfortunately, with the end of the 2018 midterm elections, we have immediately launched ourselves into the 2020 presidential elections. Yay. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know if we need to be quite so dramatic about it. We were in the 2020 elections before now. <laughs> Fair enough. That's right. But now there's nothing holding us back. There's nothing. <laughs> so for, we're not going to talk about this very much. I just want to ask the two of you, for the, for our listeners who might be interested in thinking about how do I think about what inevitably is going to become a, um, a two-year conversation about the about uh, the twenty twenty midterm uh, twenty twenty uh, presidential elections? What should they be paying attention to at this point? Or uh, is there no news right now? No, there's plenty of news. I mean, the things to look for are who who essentially is sort of like making the circuit to mm-hmm. early states. For example, you want to see who's who's actually showing up in Iowa um, and giving speeches. Um, Who's who's making you know uh, happy little trips to New Hampshire to um, you know do book signings or whatever? Um, so things like that, um, and uh, and you also want to see who you know essentially are are there folks who are um, um, <clears throat> sorry who are essentially who are essentially trying to take actions that are going to get their name sort mm-hmm. of out out in the press. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you can think about uh, obviously like taking DNA tests to prove that they have Native American yeah, heritage. Yeah, absolutely. For example, yeah. or having your former campaign manager float the idea that you might actually run again. Right. Exactly. Um, Please don't do that. that. <laughs> yeah. So all of these kinds of things are are, are, are things to look for. Now, mm. what's what's interesting is you know a lot of folks who are sort of floating right now will eventually decide not to run or at least that's the way it has been now of course we look back at 2016 and they all um, they all decided to run um, <laughs> which was a terrible which, choice which for was them. yeah it was a very bad idea and it was bad for the parties and it was bad for everybody yeah. um, mm-hmm. but uh, but nonetheless if things are normal we should expect a number of folks to sort of float out there maybe as many as mm-hmm. 20 or 30 mm-hmm. um, and then and then to see that number kind of pare down, see some people sort of realize they don't have a realistic 20 shot. Twenty thirty, good grief. Okay, <laughs> I mean there are that about yeah, that many. Yeah, that yeah there's probably that at many least right now. Thinking about it right now, yeah. right? And um, yeah. So and and hopefully that number will get whittled down, and people yeah. will decide not to run, and you'll get down to maybe ten candidates, you know, total mm-hmm. for both parties. Um, yeah. But again, if we have a repeat of twenty sixteen, then we'll have you know. Well, seventeen what, in the what were there? Yeah, like seventeen on that whole stage yeah. for the Republicans, yeah. and, and that's kind of. I mean, that's only the major so, ones. There, there were some right. minor ones that yeah. didn't even make that list. But. So, yeah. yeah, do you remember they had the JV debates? Uh, right. Oh, I right. know. Yeah. Well, it is. It's sort of a logistical nightmare for the parties if you get more than about eight, right? right. Because yeah. you know, running. I mean, I, for one thing, I think they run too, far too many early debates. I think they need to yeah. squash that. But, but I think um, you know, it really makes it nightmarish because they couldn't even put them all on the same stage, right? Yeah. And then you had to choose, and it was all based on polling, which then sort of. You know, like basically it was a name recognition game, and I mean, it's one yeah, of the right. Trump got forward, right? It's like everyone knows who Donald Trump is, right? Yep. And so, um, whereas who's this Bobby Jindal character, right? Like even right. though Bobby Jindal was a lot more qualified to be president um, than Trump, but he is, you know, not as well known. Right? Yep. Sure. So, well, guys, we're we're near the end of our time right now. I have. I'm going to give you the option. 
do you want to talk? Do you want to talk Bethel or do you want to talk Pioneer? Oh, tell us oh, about Pioneer. Yeah, tell us about Pioneer for sure. Because your your hometown okay. is fun. Um, I th- this is gonna get me in trouble back home. Uh, I, I sh- <laughs> they're and they're big listeners in Pioneer. Yes, like, there's a few. Down. There's a few. There only are? a few. Okay, all right. Um, all right. Here's We're the deal. Get some angry emails. To EST. It's exciting. You could, yeah, you could. Uh, <laughs> hey, friends in Pioneer, you can email us at electionshocktherapy at gmail dot com. Please address your emails to Chris Moore. <laughs> Mitchell and I, for the record, are not from Pioneer. I've never been to Pioneer. Oh, we're, we're going. We're going to do an EST on do location. ESG live in, in yes, Pioneer. I love it. Let me let me extol. Can to we you. get can we get funding for that, Mitchell? You're on the, <laughs> right, the committee. Right. Let me extol our, to you. Look for our funding application for there we go. We don't, we don't need yes. we need gas money. We can stay at my parents' <laughs> exactly. house. Yeah, let, let me extol to you the virtues of my hometown. I grew up in idyllic uh, rural Ohio. <laughs> Kiss up. Uh, <laughs> I love my up. I love my my childhood. Now listen, yeah. listen, listen, listen. Uh, okay, Pioneer is a small town in the very northwest corner of Ohio. It's where mm-hmm. I grew up, and it's about a mile from Michigan and about ten miles from Indiana. It's right in the corner, and nothing politically interesting has ever ever happened there, <laughs> with a couple of notable exceptions. Uh, <laughs> we bre- uh, we raised the. One, at one time, director of the FAA, okay. um, who sometime back in the in the nineteen late nineteen nineties was was a director of the FAA, okay. but for the most part, this is a very politically quiescent area. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelmingly Republican, uh, about five to one or so. It's one of the most red parts of of of, of Ohio. Yeah. It's also demographically very homogenous until recently. It's overwhelmingly white. Mm-hmm. Um, Recently, there's been an influx, a modest influx of, of Hispanics, um, and, and, but not enough to really shift the politics sure. of the area. Town is ranges from middle class to working class. It's heavily dependent on agriculture, mm-hmm. a little bit of light industry. Um, it's a lot like a lot of the other towns around the area, mm-hmm. but they're embroiled right now. In the biggest political dispute of my lifetime, <laughs> and maybe my parents' lifetime. Wow! <laughs> so here's what's going on: uh, the one of the biggest uh, business owners mm-hmm. uh, in 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 the town who owns one of the factories in the town right. and has other business, uh, smaller business interests in and around the area, mm-hmm. is the, is also the mayor, <laughs> and his name is Ed Kidston. What could possibly go wrong? Well, this is the thing, right? Uh, this is perfect <laughs> small town politics. You've got the, the the one of the most successful business owners is also yep. the guy who's who's the mayor, and it's a small town, right? So, mm-hmm. one of the city council members is also the brother of Ed Kitson's son-in-law. I mean, like this is, <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, but wait, <laughs> are they all together? For one of the other council members <laughs> is my former second grade teacher, right? So, it's a it's a small <laughs> town, um, and. Uh, all of this became an issue when um, Ed Kidston announced that he was going to drill into the um, aquifer, which supplies uh, the, air, the the town, not just the town, but the area surrounding the town with with water, and sell this water to the thirsty people of the western suburbs of Toledo, Ohio. Now, Toledo, Ohio, <laughs> is about forty five miles away to the east. It's the it's the closest small city to, right. to pioneer right and there is a water shortage i'm guess I've, i'm told i've learned from from reading right. newspapers uh in the, some of those western suburbs 
the Ohio, uh, Pioneer is water rich, mm-hmm. um, at least comparatively so. It's a pretty fertile area, and mm-hmm. farmers rely on that water for right. for farming. And mm-hmm. um, it's not. There's a couple things that aren't clear. I'm trying mm-hmm. to be very nonpartisan about this, and, and just 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 the facts, man. Just the facts. Just the facts. But it's it's not clear a how rich this aquifer is. Yep. It's also not clear how far this aquifer extends. Geologists estimate that this that this aquifer probably extends not just from Pioneer, but you know, sort of a four or five county area surrounding that area, mm. and also into Michigan and into Indiana. Oh wow! Now that said, it appears that there are no Ohio laws preventing anybody, if they own land, from throwing a well down on that land and pumping water out of that aquifer. Farmers could do this for irrigation purposes. Businesses could do it. You know, right. Private citizens could do it for wells. You could drill a well and pull water out and supply your house with water. There's sure. nothing to stop you from doing that. But the issue here is the level is the is the scale, right? Because right, right, um, right. what the mayor's propose mayor and business owner is proposing to do is to pump this water out and then sell it um, in mass to 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 to, to whole cities mm-hmm. or um, that are on the west side of Toledo. Now, there's a couple of sticking points here. Besides, generally, a fairly substantial public outcry against this, right. uh, it's not exactly clear how he would get the water there. It would have to be piped. That's right. the only way to make this financially feasible. Mm-hmm. Right. And the question is, who's going to wh- who's going to allow this to happen? Because the very people whose water he would be t- pumping would be the ones who would have to agree to let him ship the water across their land. Right. Now, there are a couple possibilities. Uh, Ohio, like a lot of other states, is part of the Rails to Trails program. Mm. And there is a former rail line that runs roughly from Pioneer all the way to Toledo. Right. And the Rails to Trails program might be amenable to allowing him to use that line to run a pipeline in exchange for helping fund the Rails to Trails program. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or there might be some other way that he could sort of make agreements with various communities and, and right. places along the way to get, right. to get the water there. Um, the This has been the most politically mobilized I've ever seen my, my <laughs> community. There are protests. There are candlelight vigils. There have wow. been wow. what I can only describe as fracases at uh, city council meetings. <laughs> the most recent update is that the city council which has generally voted with the mayor on these issues, right. uh, entertained a resolution to prevent anyone from talking about the aquifer issue until they had more information about the aquifer issue. And the even the resolution to basically stop debate about it was itself incredibly contentious. People from Indiana and Michigan came in with tape over their mouths that said silence. There was threats of First Amendment lawsuits. And it really is an open question of whether or not um, a city council can prevent their constituents from talking about something at open city council meetings. Yeah. Um, it seems like the answer to that is probably no. Right. Like, and so the most, the most recent headline is a quote from um, from the mayor also. And again, I should mention, although he's the mayor, and that's important for the, pl- the politics of this, all of this is, is, is his capacity as a private citizen. Right. Um, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't need any uh, political power to make this happen. It's just problematic that he is politically powerful right. and, and right. essentially potentially taking a public resource and using it for private gain. Correct. Yes. Now, whether that's 
amen- we, we have issues in the United States all the time of mm-hmm. private individuals using public resources for private right. gain. Oh, right. The question is whether this is an appropriate use of that, whether it conflicts with his interests as a political actor, and um, whether there is any capacity to stop him from doing so. Right. Um, and whether he'll bow to political pressure or not. He seems not to be bowing to political pressure. Um, in fact, he's doubled down. Uh, his, his most recent quote, which I'm, dr- I'm drawing from the Toledo Blade, which was there covering the, wow. uh, the city council meeting, was he said, and I quote, we're not even sure if the aquifer exists. <laughs> so <laughs> I, right. think, I think the context of that was... So Toledo's um, thinking you're going to sell us fake water. Right. <laughs> he wants to... Uh, he's, we, we need to drill to find out if the water's there. So that uh, and 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 then and then see if we can actually do something with this. But who it's uh, it's spicy. Uh, it's spi- it's spicy and pioneer right now. Here, there is some water there. Yeah, <laughs> there there. but the question is, is it is it, you know, a, is there enough is it an economically viable right, amount right. of water to right. to sell yes. as, as a private business? And right. so um, I am wow. I am fascinated by this. I it's the first time anything politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Interesting has happened in my um, <laughs> in my town since the school levy of 1994. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, those were big days. Well, those were big days. <laughs> but big man, uh, yeah. I kind of wish I was there for it, and I'm kind of glad that I'm yeah. not. Also, so <laughs> anyway, this has been your pioneer update. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in yeah. all in all seriousness, it's it's it's. I don't want to. I don't make light of this. This. Um, for a, for a community that relies on agriculture, yes, um, yes. if this is a depletable resource, this is yeah. a this is mm-hmm. probably one of those kinds of things where we tend to think that the presidency and Congress are the sorts of things that really influence our lives. When yeah. in reality, local politics oftentimes has the biggest impact yep. on our day to day lives. Yep. Yeah, I was just talk, talking about this in my party's in elections class the other day. I mean, it's the paradox of local elections, right? That they they actually matter a lot more in terms of our practical lives but we get way less information about them and mm-hmm. people tend to be way less enthused about participating in them. I mean I got tons yeah. of advertisements about you know sort of state and federal level um, offices. I had literally one for a local office and that was mm-hmm. because um, candidate or incumbent you know council member Wes Hovland showed up at my door and handed it to me <laughs> and we had a nice little conversation and I voted for him and you know I, I thought he had some very practical approaches to problems but you know, it's just interesting how little information we have. It was like that, yeah. and there was the newspaper um, kind of write-up on that race, and that that's what you get, right? Yeah. And then there's, there's a few yard signs and so forth. Um, but in the end, I mean, like, really, realistically, like, what Wes does for the next four years will make more difference to me than what, you know, Senator Klobuchar does or probably even what Tim Walls does as our governor, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, yeah, those, those issues um, end up mattering quite a lot. I like I liked your routine. You almost I almost was feeling like Garrison Keeler there. Like, <laughs> now let me tell you about my hometown, Lake Wobegon. <laughs> well, I should say that the children are above average. They are above yes. average because yeah. of that 1994 school levy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it didn't hurt. It did not hurt. <laughs> and because they had Chris Moore there to sort of yeah. inspire them intellectually. That certainly was not the case. Was <laughs> <laughs> that second grade teacher? Yeah. Uh, my politician. second yeah. my second grade teacher turned city council politician Connie Salisbury <laughs> is one of my all time favorite teachers. And on the offside chance that you would ever listen to this, uh, hi Mrs. Salisbury, I love you. <laughs> um, all right, so you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. We'll be back in your feed in another week or so. Uh, we'll be offering you some holiday buying recommendations, Woo-hoo. and maybe talking a little bit about our spring classes too. Uh, thanks for listening to us. On behalf of my colleagues, uh, you can always get a hold of us at uh, electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. And until we hear from you, go Royals. 